Hello and welcome to Mega City Book Club, the podcast all about the galaxy's greatest comics. I'm Eamon Clark, and another first timer in the book club uh, from that comic smell, both the podcast and the comic, as well as being part of the Dundee uh, Comics Mafia. It's a warm book club welcome and hello to Tom Stewart. Hello, how are you doing? I'm very well, Tom. Thank you for doing it. Now, I say Dundee, but it's really, is it, how do you say it? Is it Brotty Ferry? Uh, yeah, it is Brotty Ferry. Currently in Brotty Ferry, uh, in between homes. But yes, right. yes, it is Dundee, to be fair. I mean, it is, don't get me wrong, it's probably closer to Moneyfeath and Angus than it is actual city centre of Dundee, but it's still classed as Dundee. So you're fine. Right. I, still, I, still get, I still get within inner city limits. <laughs> it, feels like, it feels like some sort of mystical heart of British comics there, Brotty Ferry. It just, uh, you know, like the Arthurian legend, but up there for comics. <laughs> well, it, pro- it probably seems that way for uh, for an outside perspective. I'll say that there is a lot of us situated around here. Fair play. Yeah, there's you know there's people all about. There's people that are from the the comics creative space and everything as well. And you know we've got Ian Kennedy here as well. So yeah, there's loads of folk. Uh, comic book royalty Ian Kennedy. Yes, yes, very much so. Who we who we actually signed a comic for the other day, and I couldn't believe I was signing a comic. For Ian Kennedy. <laughs> wow, yes. I'm always saying, where's his honour? I don't I don't particularly believe in the honour system, but for goodness sake, give Ian Kennedy something. Yes, exactly, exactly. Yeah. So we're going to be, I mean, it's a podcast crossover episode. We're going to be talking about crossover comics in a moment. But before we do that, we start with your sort of comics origin story and your experience at 2000 AD. Tell us, Tom. My experience with 2000 AD in particular is rather... Limited, although I do know the characters and I've read a number of the stories, it is rather limited just to mainly either crossovers or stuff that I've kind of picked up along the way. I've had like odd progs from car boot sales or whatever, but it was actually my it actually originates with my comics origin, though, funnily enough, because my cousin was the one that got me into comics and he was big into 2000 AD. He had he had big posters and stuff um, on his wall of I, I remember one specifically of Dread um, about, because it was above his Warhammer castle that he'd made <laughs> um, right but uh, I think also at the right time I think this Sylvester Stallone film had come out uh, as well and there was a lot of stuff that went into like kids serials and, and stuff like that so I actually ended up with like a a Judge Dread. It was like a fold-in thing that you got free in cereal, and I used to carry it everywhere with me, um, and it looked like the judge's badge, and then obviously you opened it up and it had like facts on the film and stuff, but also had things on the character and stuff. Um, so I always knew 2000 AD kind of in the background uh, upon finding everything else as well. You know, Beano, Dandy, or Wally, you know, that stuff was never far from, from home. Um, Shuggy and Dougie was a big one as well. But yeah, I think it, when I was younger, it was always it was always kind of uh, Marvel, DC, Dark Horse, and two thousand AD were the sort of four that were kind of spoke about around sort of inner school circles and and stuff. But yeah, it was definitely origin story. It's 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 cousin, uncle, and dad just kept me supplied in in comics one way or another, or comic art. Okay, and I mean, we'll perhaps jump ahead slightly. How did you come across the book we're going to be talking about this evening? 
Uh, this is actually my cousin's copy. <laughs> oh, is yeah. it? Right. When okay. he um, he did a clear out, um, obviously he he must have got to that age where you give up um, comics um, when you're sort of either mid to late high school, and I think he just he just fobbed everything on to me, but it was like the biggest wealth of stuff ever. Um, you know, I ended up with um, trades of. Dark Knight Returns and um, funnily enough um, a lot of sort of Batman ones crossovers as well, Batman and Predator um, and ended up with odd issues of like Shadow of the Bat and stuff like that as well yeah yeah. but there was loads of different stuff that I ended up with but I actually ended up with um, a Slain collection or Slanya depending on how you say it also these uh, three Batman Judge Dredd crossovers um, I think I had a, an ABC Warriors and one that was called a collection that was called the Three Amigos. Um, I, yeah, oh, yes, I lost yeah. that along the way. I don't know where I don't know where that went, but it was so it was these three and the Three Amigos kind of all fitted together because they were about the same size. Um, but yeah, this was how I ended up with this one, and this ended up, you know, funnily enough, being the one that kind of resonated the most. I think I maybe remembered it from way back when, you know, so the death of Superman was sort of one of the first ever comics that I saw sort of Marvel and DC wise and sort of big sort of superhero slash comics kind of thing. And I think the ultimate riddle must have been like the next one down or something like that, because they are always like, I always remember it and I always get a twang of nostalgia every time I see it as well. All right. Okay. Well, you mentioned it. Let's just uh, do the facts and figures. Tell us the title of the book we're covering. Yes, it's Batman Judge Dredd, The Ultimate Riddle. And it was 1995 this came out in Fleetway and DC Special Editions, uh, written by Alan Grant and John Wagner, art by Carl Critchlow and Dermot Power, lettered by Richard Starkins, I believe. The editors across the pond, so David Bishop this side and Denny O'Neill on the American side. And it is it was has since been collected in the Batman Dread collection from twenty fourteen. But I see for some reason I've got the D C edition in my hands. Which one have you uh, got? I've got two thousand eight D. Uh so it's the Fleetway the, one, right. Uh, oh, Hamlin, I think is the one. Hamlin, yeah, oh, right. yeah okay. Hamlin. But it's like a it's kinda like an like an oversized kind of magazine size style but the, all of them that are like that the other ones are the other ones that I've got are Mandarin so I don't know what I don't know what that is but yeah there's oh, yeah. Right, okay <laughs> the, the the strangeness of uh, publishing these special editions yeah exactly yeah. And if David Grice is listening, David, we are still doing the complete Batman Dread at some point, so we're going to focus in on this particular story. So why did you... I mean, you say this one always uh, stood out to you, and, you know, you look back on it with a particular fondness. Why is it, do you think? Why did you pick it for the book club? I'm a, I'm sort of drawn to... Like, one of my favourite artists is Alex Ross, and that sort of more painterly style. Um... I am a person that really loves like illustrative style and everything in in comic form, and a lot more as I've got older. But I've always been drawn to stuff that looks beautifully painted, and this is just utterly outstanding. But it's also that thing of just I think there's just a childlike thing in my head that just sees Batman and Judge Dredd together and just starts to get all giddy. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> but it is that thing like I think Batman was one of the first ever 
heroes uh, along with Superman that I can remember. And Dread has always just kind of been there. Like I say, I mean, that stuff was being handed out in kids' serials. Um, so I think it was just a perfect time for me to have maybe come across them. Um, and now it just sticks with me forever. And like I say, the actual it, it is helped by the fact that each page is just an absolutely beautiful painting. Fantastic. Well, we'll come to the beautiful painted artwork in a moment. First of all, though, for anybody who hasn't read it or hasn't gone back recently, just fill us in on the brief synopsis of uh, The Ultimate Riddle. Well, pretty straightforward is that Batman is trying to solve a riddle left by the Riddler. Uh, The Riddler grabs him. Uh, They end up in some sort of parallel universe where he's trapped in a cage he sees that dread is there there is other people that have been brought to some sort of combatant battle where they've got to go each other go at each other somebody's picked as the person to kill whoever kills them gets to go home everybody else dies and there's this sort of overlord person called zero if i remember rightly yeah who is the one overseeing it and making sure that they all battle and there is a sort of twist in the tale where is it zero or have they been brought there by somebody else and what's happening, basically. Great stuff. So let's start with Alan Grant and John Wagner. So Alan Grant's what? He's been writing a lot of Batman for DC for the last, what, five, six, seven years possibly at this point. Of course, John Wagner, um, I think they collaborated on all of the Batman Dread. Um, I'll have to check when we do the rest of them. but um, they know. Certainly certainly on the ones that I've got anyway, the right. three that I've got. And there is, there's four in total. This is the third one chronologically. Yes. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, the writing and the, the sort of the knowing the characters, I suppose Alan Grant knowing Batman and Wagner knowing Dread inside out, it's pretty much the perfect combination i suppose did you enjoy the story the writing yeah very much so um i think it harkens back to as much as the visuals are pretty dark and some of the some of the dialogue can be a bit you know pretty dark there was a kind of lighter side to it there was a more playful side to it and i think it and a sort of adventure side to it as well and i think that that very much shows that the obviously both writers know the characters inside and out, so they know what kind of beats to hit with them and stuff as well. But the way even Batman at the very start finds the Riddler's riddle, and he's sort of saying, you know, um, a clue to the Riddler's next crime could be, uh, could this was it? Could be this was just a teaser. Uh, baited hook, that seems easy enough. The bait shop under the bridge. It just smacked of like Adam West when he's like saying right. that. That was almost like, you know, the movie being like, you know, penguins. This, there's penguins at the thing. That must mean the penguin, you know. Um, and it just all seemed that kind of lighter side to it. So it uh, that's more what I look for in a Batman story. I, I, the whole gritty, horrible, <laughs> dark stuff... Um, can be saved for you know special trades or whatever. This is this is a good this is a solid sort of Batman and and dread. Well, from what what I I've perceived anyway, this is a solid Batman and dread story. I liked that dread has been sort of transported to this contest of champions with 
a, a perp. He was in the process yes. of arresting and strip searching. <laughs> and there's a sort of comic aspect throughout the the, the, the story because he's sort of like, yes. I don't know, is he handcuffed to the perp? And um, Or he's certainly with him the whole time. And, and yeah. basically, dread in typical dread fashion, just keeps beefing up this guy's sentence, doesn't he, every time he opens his mouth? Yeah, it, go- it starts off from a warning and ends up at like four years or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> but it's... Um, yeah, it's it is almost like a a double act thing on the go, and Batman's sort of almost being made to play the straight man. But there is a, a an element of sort of comedy in in his his thing as well. Even with you know, there's there's a, a part with the Riddler where he's he's sort of going say it ain't so, and I was sitting going, who says say it ain't so? <laughs> yeah, and of course. Uh, whenever you put Batman and Dread together, they all you've got to have that clash of, I suppose, ethos because yeah. you know Batman will not kill. Yes. Whereas Dread kills just about at this stage, particularly just kills just about anything, doesn't he? You know, yeah. the reason why he doesn't have a big rogues gallery left is he's shot most of them. Um, <laughs> so it does have that that you know they usually get their clashes of personality, although they they of course. Typically, they have to then learn to work together to solve the riddle, don't they? Yeah. Um, what about the the Batman stuff? Because I'm less familiar with Batman. Did this feel like, you know, of the era Batman? Did it feel right for it, the character? It certainly does to me. Um, like I say, it's more of a sort of adventure side. It's not so super serious. I know, like I say, I know Batman is always written especially sort of from then onwards is a bit more super serious but there you know there's a silly aspect there's an adventure adventure aspect to it as well and i i think that's what it was of that time and although he can be a serious person it's not super super grim and gritty you know i've got to lurk in the shadow sort of thing you know they've got batman swinging all over the joint here I don't think there's barely a point when he's actually standing still, and when he is talking, he is just sort of hitting the main, the main sort of Batman beats for that time. Um, and like I say, like there's there's a sort of a, an even even an Adam West sort of aspect to it, the way he's figuring out what he's going to do and who it is. I mean, even when he sort of figures out the twist at the end, um, I th- I think it's it's almost hammy. Um, the his his dialogue, you know, they, he's he's repeating back um, words that he's heard previously from from the riddle and stuff, and it it just it it feels. I think it feels perfect. I think it feels perfect for that time, personally. It's interesting. I hadn't really thought of the Adam West connection, but of course, you're probably right. It does feel like a slight yeah. Adam West to Newman, but without quite so many people or creatures killed along the way, I guess. Yeah, they would have been. They would have been being repeated on Channel Four at that point as well, because that would right. have been when I was watching it as well. I was watching it at kind of lunch times and stuff at that at that point. Okay, well, let's turn to beautifully painted artwork by Carl Critchlow and Dermot Power. But before I get into the book, can we judge a book by its cover? What do you think of the cover? It doesn't really say much, to be fair. Right. <laughs> um, it is just the two of them standing. There's there's nothing else. There's not even anything really going on in the background. It has the ultimate riddle on the front and, you know, these big, massive, bold letters uh, with question marks all over them. But, you know, there's no actual sign of the Riddler. There's no actual bright green except from that writing. Um, there's not much on the go. They are beautifully rendered, the two characters. Um but there's nothing really much else to it, you know. There's there's nothing to really give away anything of the story inside. But maybe that helps in a way. 
it gives a wee bit more to the actual story and for that sort of first page turn to the the beautiful um full page painting that you come to on the inside so maybe having just a minimalist two guys standing on the front cover gives more of an impact to the story but I don't know I'd, <laughs> I think if you were seeing this you would just go mm, pass <laughs> I was I mean I was more taken with the dread figure by Carl Critchlow I was less convinced by his Batman on the front cover although inside his Batman is lovely isn't it <laughs> Yeah, he almost doesn't kind of want to paint the whole of Batman, so he's 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 painted like the chest and maybe one of the arms fully, but the rest is kind mostly silhouette. You know, Dread is Dread is actually detailed quite a lot, even in the shoulder pads. He's got most of the light on his face and everything, whereas Batman is mostly just a big shadow. <laughs> yeah, which I suppose is fair enough. Yes. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's it's fair yeah. play, but. You know, for enticing somebody in to read the thing, you know, I, 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 I don't know. So we're in the mid nineties. Uh, for the two thousand eight era, there's still, I think, Bisley's the after effects of Bisley and the Horned God is still, and of course, Bisley on you know Batman, the first Batman Dread, yeah. is still um, rippling through. So everything, or artists are doing fully painted artwork. So inside. It is, as you say, a feast for the eyes on every page. Um, yeah. I mean, particularly as you start on the first page of Gotham City by Carl Critchlow. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you have a Batman image from this era, I guess, what, 10 years after The Dark Knight or nine years after The Dark Knight, you can have lightning yeah. cutting the sky as well, aren't you? So tell us about the artwork, particularly as Carl Critchlow starts it. Um, well, like I say, it starts off with a beautiful full-page the docks at um, the docks in Gotham City. That sort of shadow is being cast of Batman cutting across the rooftops. So you, you're in. You know, you, you've got the like you say, you've got the lightning bolt. It's all this sort of I don't know, almost like a, a steely blue, and there's these lovely shadows. There's almost like pencil shadows on each of the buildings as well. There's a there's a black cat looking at them um, down on the ground, and then it just kind of as it goes through, it does get brighter in a way, in a sense of characters. Characters get a lot brighter. But I think backgrounds maybe drop in places. There is just bits where it's just green or just dark or just red. But there is some beautiful full pages. There's a beautiful full page of Dread with a Perp and Batman right next to each other after they've been put in the sort of combatant bit but right at the very start where he's hanging off the top of the bridge after having read the riddle and come to the docks he's swinging in hanging on to a beam from the the roof the sort of underside of the the bridge and just massive explosions and it's all you can see every little detail of every bit that's flying off of a an explosion a big massive sound effect of the doom and these huge bold yellow writing oh it's just it's incredible but it is it's just uh, like it's, just... it's it's works of art <laughs> you know <laughs> did you like the page that introduces zero when he comes through the doors and also then when you get on the next two double page uh of the characters all the various contests of champions characters been introduced Yes, they are some of my favourites. Um, I also like the page where 
they're first introduced to the fact they're in the, in the cages and it's it's looking up. You don't really fully see everybody. Um, you see just sort of silhouettes of them, and you see the first guy um, down in the bottom. You know this this baboon faced character um, taking it at face value, and this sort of outline of dread talking. Um, that's oh god, just that perspective of looking up and under all the all the cages as well. It's unbelievable. Zero looks great when he comes in. You don't get the full extent of his mask really um, until the the following page where it goes right back and almost looks like a row of teeth or a spinal column going across his head. Um, but the, but like you say, that double page of them standing and it's introducing them. Even the bubbles actually, uh, even the the actual the lettering. Um, of each name and each title, hail, dread, hail, gulag of nulp, um, hail Batman. Although Batman looks out of place, <laughs> right. I, I do, I do look at that page and see all of them. You know, the the living nightmare and all these guys that are standing. There's big robots and dread. Even looks like a big sort of stony faced creature at this point. The way he's drawn with the perp sort of looking looking under his shoulder pad, and they're all these these beings. They're all these things. And then there's just a guy in a bat outfit. You know, he he, <laughs> he does look slightly out of place with that. Um, but you know, it's it still works. Um, you know, he's you know taking the champions from each universe or whatever that makes sense. But he do, he does slightly look out of place as just this pointy-eared man standing in the bottom right-hand corner. <laughs> yes, um, and as this, I mean, I they've perhaps borrowed or been inspired slightly by popular movies. You know, the the robots a little bit Ed Two Hundred Nine from RoboCop. One of the characters is possibly a bit like the Predator. The Living Nightmare looks like if Judge Death was a mummy, I guess. Um, yeah, something like. <laughs> I, I did wonder if these pe- if these characters actually came from other properties, and I just didn't know. Um, I didn't know if they maybe came from other parts of fiction or or, or something. I, I wasn't sure. I couldn't find anything on it. To be fair, if they maybe came from some someplace else. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I'm I'm not familiar with them from anywhere else. Um, and while I mention movie references, the cages hanging in space mm-hmm. for some reason reminds me of the Time Bandits where they're in the cage. Um, yeah, where actually, yeah, seem spot to... on. Yeah, I always that always freaked me out that sequence because there didn't seem to be any bottom underneath those cages. There's nothing beneath them, you know, yeah. just the abyss. Um, okay, so do they? Here's the question about painted artwork: Is it a rod for? Um, both the artist's back and also the editor's back, because it takes takes time to produce this artwork, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah. I, I I do wonder every time I read this, like how long it actually took from the moment the the sort of concept went up to finished pages. And I would be interested to find out, like how how actual painstakingly long that took, and if. They had to, you know, work you know full days without any sleep or anything. Or if they really did just give it that wee bit of an extra leash and just give it a year or so to to really crack on and get it done. But it is like it's intense. It's it's not it's not a case of like you say full painted image. You probably have an image in your mind of what it is, but you know this goes above and beyond in some circumstances <laughs> there is some pages that you can see they've definitely went quicker on than others 
uh, there's a certain page where there's a, a couple of pages where Batman's nailed somebody na- nailed that sort of lizard creature to the wall with a, a harpoon and dreads firing at the robot and then you go over to the next double page and I don't know it looks a bit more I don't know it looks a bit more sort of rushed a bit more kind of just they've done the paints as quick as possible over inks they've there's main probably just drying at that period compared to everything else like you just you notice that difference going from those pages to the next one but then maybe there's that whole thing of because it was going between two people well i was just wondering because that is is that the jump from carl critchlow to dermot power um Possibly. at that stage i think it is and um right, okay. we know that carl critchlow was struggling with the deadline and so he sent rough outlines to dermot power um ah, who, right, okay probably was also about this time doing artwork for the Judge Dredd Stallone movie, possibly. He was doing concept artwork for that, I think. Um, But yes, so, I mean, there's all sorts of stories about particularly the Dredd Batman crossovers, the the art being late. I have heard that Glenn Fabry was... Either he was on something else or he was, you know, the Die Laughing, which would eventually become the fourth crossover, was delayed... Right. And I don't know, do you, have you heard that famous story about the Bisley artwork and Steve McManus literally getting on a plane with it? Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, that's yes. insanity. <laughs> <laughs> that's unbelievable. I know, Absolutely trying to get it to the printers in, in America to, for DC and literally the last pages, I think Steve McManus got on board a plane and literally flew it there himself. Oh, um, some... Yeah, I know. Um, can you spot the difference then when Carl Critchlow becomes Dermot Power? I think Batman's ears become much longer. Yes, is yeah, what they I do. Noticed. They do. They yes. they almost become like knives. Uh, they become they become yes. like butcher knives attached to the side of his head. Um, yeah, he he gets he gets bigger ears, but I don't know. I think he still does a good he does a good job of sort of um, aping. Critchlow in a way in some panels and it's not it's definitely not Critchlow it's definitely Dermot Power um, but it, I think he does a good job you know there's a bit where the, the living nightmare kind of is boring into the back of his head but it still kind of looks like Critchlow a little bit especially in Batman's face but yeah you're right you can see the jump his ears definitely get bigger but I think also am I right in saying I think Dread changes slightly as well like he doesn't have as stony a face. He's got like a proper um, stone face at the start, and then it suddenly gets a wee yeah. bit smoother. And also, his helmet gets a lot brighter as well. Yes, a lot more <laughs> reflections on the helmet. Yes, and yeah, the typical page because whenever we come across Batman, we have some psychic villain boring into his brain and seeing all of his backstory. Yes, um, <laughs> and we get that page of it here. I think I think Anderson did it in the first crossover. Yes, yeah, and did. said, you know, you've been up against some rum stuff or something or other. <laughs> you know, you, you... I can't. I can't Blimey, actually mate. choose. Yeah, I know. I just. I. I can't. I can't choose who did a better one though because this one looks great because it has the living nightmare towering over the top and all the villains sort of at the bottom. Um, whereas and when Anderson does it, when it's busily, it's uh, he, he actually includes like the shooting and Robin and stuff like that in it as well. Um, and I'm always torn between the two of them because that's if I'm being honest in in this one, that's actually probably one of my favourite all-time pages is seeing him on, you know, kneeling down screaming with all those 
things going on behind them. But Judge Death is there as well, in a, in a sort yeah. of shadow. But I'm assuming that's from the from the first time. And presumably, yes, yeah. from their first crossover, yeah. Yeah, it just seems odd yeah. that you would do. You know, everybody else is is a villain from from DC from and Batman. Yeah, and then just it's not even really. You can't even really make out that it is Judge Death. It's just the fact that there's some skulls below him. And maybe a hint of some teeth, but apart from that, it's kind of it's mostly silhouetted. So Carl Critchlow uh, had done he'd done Nemesis, he'd done uh, Deadlock, he'd done some Dread. Uh, probably best known now for Lobster Random. Of course, Dermot Power, I think, mostly does film work now. I think, but he's he'd done a lot of Slain, or he's certainly done some Slain. Yeah, I guess. As with any decent sort of British artist, getting to draw or paint Batman—that's like—I I suppose they don't turn that down, do you? No, no, not in the slightest. <laughs> I think even at that time, it would have been that would have been sort of ringing bells of like, oh, I've I've got something here. Like I say, it was you know it was being repeated on the telly. It's not really that long after the first films come out as well, so there's still a lot of hype going on. McDonald's are still handing out toys with bat logos on them at that point, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So there's the that thing as well. Movies, yeah, they've had the bump from the Judge Dredd movie with Stallone, yes. um, which did cause a bump in sales, even though, you know, it wasn't quite <laughs> what we wanted, no. perhaps. <laughs> um <laughs> But yeah, I mean, getting getting invited to go across the pond, at least sort of, you know, figuratively, and do Batman and do a dread Batman, um, and to do it painted. I guess nobody is going to be, you know, um, disappointed with you know, no. getting that call. It's what a lot of people, I think, think of, isn't it? I want to do a Batman book. Yeah, I think even I think even if you know, some coming from myself that doesn't even really paint, I think I would have bitten their hand off if somebody had said that, <laughs> made the suggestion. I would have went, yeah, I'll just try it. It's fine. <laughs> Oh yeah, I can. Yeah. Do that. yeah, I can. I can probably do that. <laughs> Just give me a couple of couple of paints and a, and a brush. I'll give, I'll give it a shot. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Now I'm going to ask you a question that Tony Esmond asked me on his podcast when we did a Barry Windsor Smith Wolverine uh, single issue, which is. Um, is it at you know at the end of the day is it just a very pretty fight this issue? In uh. uh, all. <laughs> Eamon, I've been reading this for years. I have been reading this for <laughs> reading this for years and yeah, it probably is, to be fair. I'm not even I'm not even gonna argue the point. It probably is. But I enjoy that there is they made the effort to kinda put a twist in. And when I still remember the first time I, I properly sat down and read it and didn't actually just look at the pictures. Um and I was actually genuinely shocked. Um, I say that as if, like, oh yeah, I remember everything of that moment. But I do. I genuinely remember being quite young and going, I don't expect that. <laughs> you know, um, is it? Does it give it too much away if I just say what it is? No, no. I think we could. It's what twenty-five uh, years old. Now, oh, that's it? fair enough. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So spoilers you, coming up for yeah. the ultimate riddle. Yeah, spoilers. Um, you know, the, the riddler is bumped off at the very start by zero, and then. Batman sort of figures out that it's all just one big elaborate hoax. The the battle being entrapped, you know, even in that moment, Zero standing, holding on to them, it is the Riddler. So you know, he's when he's saying "Say it ain't so," 
he's or say isn't so rather he just re- repeats back that you know it isn't so riddler and he changes back into the riddler and he's got this kind of magic staff on his hands and when that happened when he suddenly started going from zero to the riddler holding on to this staff I mean, I'm in love with the Riddler anyway. I think he's one of the best villains there is. I, I love that whole thing of just trying to confuse them and he's the smartest guy in the room sort of thing. I think that's great. So to then have that, they've went through all of this stuff and there's been like people getting chopped and everything and, and shot and loads of stuff to then have him sort of stand there going, well, foiled again, but hell, you had a bit of a run, you know. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> it's tremendous. So it, I think it's... It did well to have a good payoff. Um, if it didn't have, I, I think if it didn't have as solid a payoff, it would have just been one expensive sort of fight. And it is. It, I don't know. To to be fair, it's it's two of the biggest characters from two of the biggest properties of the time, and to to have it in that sort of style and everything, I think you've got to kind of expect it. You can't expect some huge elaborate tale that would have to go across multiple things when it involved these two so for it to be what it is I think it does just need to come down to a bit of a fight and let's put something clever in at the end you know yeah you mentioned they've got this I mean Riddler's got this basically this magic stick yeah let me call it that <laughs> um, that does all the transporting of all these champions to this wherever they are this contest world this battle world um, mm-hmm. And I I don't think I'd remembered until I read it again this time that there's somewhere there's a mention of where this stick came from, that it's fallen through time. And they I think Batman mentions Zero Hour, the DC crossover. Yeah, he does. Or, you know, I, I'm not terribly familiar with Zero Hour, but it was sort of like resetting the timeline on the DC universe again, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I think it all spun out of... Um it all spun out of the crisis on Infinite Earths. And, uh, right. Yeah. It, 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 and they reset was, the clock for everybody, basically, I think, didn't they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was the whole That was the whole point of the crisis on Infinite Earths anyways, it was to bring everything back down and, and get rid of sort of spin-off stories and spin-off worlds and everything because it had become way too elaborate. Um, see uh, see um, the Earth 2 podcast for, for all of the stuff that's coming <laughs> on to that. I mean, they, they delve into that. But yeah, they, it was that. And it's funny, I'd actually forgotten that as well until I was reading, rereading through it for this. And he, he said, sort of, zero hour, the crisis in time. That would explain it. And I thought, oh, Christ, he, he said it. <laughs> so, yeah. I, think, I, th- I did think it was just a case of he just said, like, oh, I just I just found it. And that was it. And that was their way of explaining it away. So it does tie in. They did well to tie it in, but it does effectively just look like a lightsaber hilt. <laughs> yes, a lightsaber hilt that can transport you through dimensions. You mentioned, of course, you know, Batman the detective, Dreads the detective. They figure stuff out because you always have to have those scenes again where they have that sort of grudging respect for each other's abilities yeah. and they figure out what's going on. I quite like all that stuff. I'm a big fan of Dread the detective and I know a lot of people... Uh, for Batman, they love the detective side of things. They want yes. to see him actually, you know, figuring stuff out more, don't they? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm definitely one of them. I don't want to see him just right. battling Joker for the forty-fifth millionth time, um, and it's you know because Joker's turned into a huge, blooming green dragon or something like that. I, uh, I want to see him figuring out like just even something as simple as somebody stole 
a diamond and there's somebody being kidnapped to go along with it or something like that and he's got to figure out all the stuff along the way bumps into some rogues along the way great but yeah I'm very much of that ilk that I would want to see him be more of the detective you don't see as much of that these days yeah, I mean, I, I do like that the later John Wagner dreads very much have him, him figuring stuff yeah. out, often without telling us. Yeah. We just sort of like, we see it and we have to figure it out ourselves yeah, as yeah. well. I like all that. They even did stuff like that even when he's in, like, the League. The bit of the League going off and battling these, you know, aliens or whatever, and you would you would notice just an absence of Batman, and then all of a sudden something would happen where he would come back into the play and he would just sort of explain what he's been doing this whole time and you know cut to panels of him sitting at big supercomputers and rattling down people to find something and you know it's it's a it's incredible he is you know at the end of the day he's a man you know he's a, he's a guy with some gizmos you know he's not some big superhero so you do really have to have him having some sort of something extra so a bit of super intellect a bit of a ultimate power of deduction and all that kind of stuff. I, I sort of remember one of the Grant Morrison JLA stories where, I can't remember who the villain was, but who'd captured most of the JLA, I think including Superman. And then they all suddenly realised Batman's missing. And the guy's, you know, where's Batman? And Superman says, well, you're in trouble now. Yeah. <laughs> but that even happened, like, in, the, in that JLA run as well. He, you know, there's a big a time jump at one point. And it cuts the Batman being covered in in scars, and he's been uh, he's been battling sort of a, a mind game with somebody the whole time, and he's won because he's got the intellect over everybody, and he, he figured out a way of doing it. And it's that whole thing of like he deducted a way of um, taking down somebody without having to use super heroics. You know, <laughs> yeah, it's unbelievable. So third of four dread Batman crossovers. Which brings me to the subject of comic crossovers. Um, one of the sort of staples of, you know, comics through the decades and, of course, company crossovers. What makes a good comic book crossover for you, Tom? For me, I think it's if they stick to the traits of the character and don't stray, don't try to change much. I think when you start to try and change too much and change too much of the characteristics, then it all starts to fall apart. And then you find yourself in a hole where you've got to try and dig your way out by saying, oh, well, actually, he's had this just for this particular story. But no, it doesn't work that way. You need to keep it, they are who they are. I mean, it works well in this one because they stick to being who they are, even though they're put in this extreme circumstance. You know, if you if you stray from that in any way, then you're you're done for. I think even in... Batman and Predator, Batman is still Batman and Predator is still going about trying to hunt him down the way Predator does. They don't suddenly do this whole thing of giving him 40 million other Predators or anything or uh, giving Batman a, a, a sudden magical gun that takes out Predators or something like that. It is, you know, they stick to who they are. I've seen plenty of crossovers where they just, they completely balls it like entirely and they have characters trying on new suits or or trying out new things that they just happened upon for this one story and it just doesn't work and do you think it's you know that the essential dreadness and batmanness of the characters that they makes them a good crossover pairing you know because they clash but they also have their sort of they have a some similar skill sets as well yeah 
yeah, I, I mean, I'm biased, obviously, because this was some of my first comics anyway. Um, but yeah, I think they are a very good fit for that. They, they are always going to come at loggerheads, but they do ultimately want the same thing, just achieving it differently. So they they still work. They they're both technically still working for the side of the law, just one more brutal than the other. In a way, I mean, Batman still beats people senseless. You know what I mean? <laughs> still very bad. Um, but yeah, they do make a good fit. They do. They they are sort of two sides of the same coin and and stuff like that. They they work well in that respect. And like you say, they're they're both detectives in a way. You know. Yeah. And you mentioned Predator because, of course, Dredd's done Predator in the IDW series. Oh, yeah. Uh, famously did um, Aliens, I think, with Al Ewan and mm-hmm. Henry Flint. Um, I haven't. I have to confess, I've not read the Dread Lobo crossovers for DC. Have, have you seen those? No, I've seen them. I've not actually read them myself. Um, I've heard people speak about them, but I couldn't tell you the first thing about them, to be honest. But uh, right. I can imagine they'd be good, but just purely on the basis that you got this almost like this agent of chaos and then somebody who won't hold back. So I guess they would work in a way. Um, but how is it? how does it work? I mean, is it versus or is it like they have to team up? Because I, I really couldn't see them teaming up. <laughs> no. Well, you can't see Lobo teaming up with anybody, although he has been in teams, hasn't he? Yeah, well, anyway. he's been in the Justice League. <laughs> yeah. That doesn't work. No. <laughs> um, who would make? I mean, if you know, is, we're going to be British comics podcasters for a moment. Who would make a good crossover for Dread from the American companies uh, that you could think oh, of? Man, I've been thinking about this all day, and I, I, I just I can't think of anybody. I can't think of anybody Marvel wise. I don't think I'm too versed enough in Marvel comics to to know anyone. I would have, I would have maybe went with like Taskmaster if that were the case, but I, I can't speak enough on that to say. So I was sticking with D, DC myself, and I I ultimately came up with Deathstroke. Oh right, yes, okay. Um, but like proper original Deathstroke, the Terminator, Titans, you know, the pi- yes. pirate boots and everything. Um, yeah, I think they'd be, you know, the the they're both pretty tactical. Um, I think they would come at loggerheads with the fact that Deathstroke seems to have a propensity for younger women at that point, which is quite odd. <laughs> I think Judge Dredd would have something to say about that. You know, a couple of yeah. couple of twenty years or so in the ISO cube for that. Um, but I think um, they would have a good battle on our hands with the two of them. Quite a, quite interesting sort of comic full of. Uh, full of fight scenes at that point but I think there would be a bit of compromise especially if Slade had to have to get his way out of something like he would team up with them in a way probably on the same sort of basis as the ultimate riddle something like that where they they have to manage to get out of some sort of situation but I saw the two of them maybe teaming up and also that would make one hell of a a good set of artwork See, yes. seeing that mask and the the two the helmet and the masks that are going, you could probably do a sort of, oh god, I could I could actually see a cover of the the, the mask and the helmet, and the helmet on top yeah. of the mask or something. Oh god, that'd be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> I'm losing myself in it now. That's it. <laughs> There's a sketch to get when commission when um, conventions start back up again. Oh god, yeah, yeah, definitely. 
Oh man, you've done it now. That's it, Eamon. <laughs> I'm sitting <laughs> thinking about it now. Thinking about who I can get. <laughs> what about internal... Com- I mean, you know, DC and Marvel, the internal crossovers are inevitable. They all turn up in each other as other's books eventually. Yeah. And in 2000 AD, you know, Rogue Trooper has sort of venture into the dread universe obviously he's done johnny alpha a few times they've crossed paths um and i think not too many years ago there was a suggestion that you know johnny alpha's father had turned up in a judge dread magazine strip all right okay um, as a young man um you know do you i mean are you a big fan of crossovers or do you sometimes wish they would just stick to their own universes their own comics and just get on with it uh, no, I like crossovers. I'm one of them that will still champion for it. Um, I like seeing crossovers. Um, I think there is too many. Uh, they they give any any opportunity now just to shove, you know, I don't know, Do- Doctor Strange or something into a Spider-Man comic or whatever, any given opportunity. Um, you know, Superman's always turning up at some point to level out Batman for something. You know, and they always do it wrong as well. They always just kind of shove him in for some either random bit of ex- exposition or a one-sided fight um, for no reason. There's never really a reason to it. Um, and if they do manage to crack it, it just loses its appeal after a wee while. Um, but I, I am a fan of the sort of one and done crossover, like one one sort of trade or one graphic novel, uh, even one um, single issue of of a good solid crossover. Yeah, I've I've always been a fan, and yet loads of I hear people complaining about that all the time, and I sit going, yeah, but if it's done right, it's good. You know, it works really really well. I mean, I, like I say, but then I'm I'm biased because a lot of these were probably my first kind of comics, so that's where I'm coming at it from, you know. And it's sort of, I mean, it's a bit like team books. It gives you more bang for your buck in a way, and you yeah. get, you know, yeah, it does. a comic book that's yeah. got both Dread and Batman and the Riddler. Yeah, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. And a bun- and a bunch of other people that we don't know. <laughs> and a bunch of, you know, yes, a bunch of characters who look like they've come from other movie franchises, let's say, but look quite <laughs> look quite intriguing, don't they? Yeah. There's a sort yeah. of uh uh I don't know, he's not quite Killer Croc. There's a sort of dinosaur one, isn't there as well that we haven't mentioned. Yeah, Although the- you said he got he gets skewered at one point with like against yes. the wall. He doesn't really do anything though. He takes a swipe <laughs> and then he gets skewered against the wall and then that's it. You know, it's like oh yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, he's done. Uh, but that kind of baboon-looking guy uh, met a sort of grisly end, and there was a bit. There was a lot going on with him, which was great. They made. I think they made a a good use of him in that in that book. But I, God, now I'm sitting going like I'd like to see him pop up somewhere else. Looks, I'd quite like to see insane. the living nightmare come back. Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> it's that thing of boring into the back of Batman's head as well. I was like, are they eye beams or are they like almost like taser wire? Like I couldn't, I couldn't quite make out what it was. But it's just these red strings coming off of them at these almost like almost yeah. like dark side in a way, like you know this kind of stringy thing coming off the back of him. But he looks, he looks insane and. and Obviously, the lettering and the dialogue at that point is written in this kind of hissy, sneaky kind of thing, almost like, I can see you. And you're like, holy crap. (laughs) (laughs) It's great stuff. Yeah, I'd like that. I'd like one of those. Okay, let me turn you back to the exceptionally pretty artwork. Yes. And um, I'm going to say that we probably, we can't afford any of this, uh, Tom. But if it was all available still... And we could afford it. What would be your Grail pages from this special? Uh, I've definitely got. I've got three. 
that I, I would Go say. Yeah, it. I've got three. The two, the two big splashes. The one with Dread and the one with Batman next to each other. Uh, the full pages where they've just been entered into the arena. Uh, Batman sort of crouched on the gargoyle and Dread standing with a power stance and the gun up with a perp at the side of him. Oh yes, yeah. Uh, got it now. Yeah. Yeah. Those two are oh, insane. Like, and they almost look like stone figures themselves, you know. But they're absolutely gorgeous. Um, I find myself sometimes just picking up the book and just looking at those two, to be fair. <laughs> um, There's something very gargoyle-like about Batman, not just his stance, but as you say, he's sort of like his greys. He looks like a piece of stone, doesn't he? Yeah, he really yeah. does. I mean, even his chin at that point, like all the dimples and stuff are all... They're all painted as if they're like a bit of rock, a good bit of limestone hanging off his face, you know. Um, And the other one is going to be the living nightmare boring into the back of his head and seeing all the 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 villains. That's just that's incredible. Fantastic! It's incredible. Yeah, and that's good because you've got there. I think you've got a Carl Critchlow double page, and you've got a Dermot Power as well. So you've got a bit of both worlds. (laughs) Um, Yeah, perfect. Well, if you're going to have those, I might have. I might have the double pages where they introduce the champions then. Ooh, lovely. Um, yeah, so when we go through all the champions uh, and it's got Dread, it's got Batman, it's got the Living Nightmare on there. Um, so I'd take that one, I think, that, that double yeah. pages. But yeah, okay, so we're going to grant you those oh, you. Um, three pages <laughs> and I'll post them on all the socials when this episode comes out so people can see what we're raving about with this beautiful artwork. Amazing. <laughs> um, I mean, I think, it. you know, I think... Sometimes I think that the, the the fad for painted artwork was great, but sometimes I think it was also like it was you know ruinous to deadlines and comics and yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, I know when I spoke to David Bishop, he did say you know trying to stop people doing painted artwork. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I I I don't blame them for sort of phasing it out because you'd you'd be there forever. Like that, that you'd yes. be waiting, and you know, oh, volume two is coming, and then the date would be to be confirmed, and it'd be to to be confirmed for the next five years. You know, it's just unbelievable. Um, but at the same point, I'm kind of gutted that there's nobody doing as much anymore. I would, I would, I would love to see another another book like that. Um, Ross, I mean, like I say, Alex Ross, I mean, he still goes at it pretty hard. Well, his, I mean, his painted artwork is. Uh, I suppose the pinnacle at the moment, yeah. isn't it? And he, he of course, he can do what he wants, really, can't he? He can yeah. do whatever sort of spotlights or covers, or um, he does a bit of Marvel, he does a bit of DC. Uh, his DC work in particular, I suppose, he's most famous for, isn't it? Yeah, that's that's where I know him from the most. Um, that's probably what I own the most of as well. Um, you know right. the, be- the beautiful sort of Superman piece on Earth. You know, huge pages of just paintings. You know, it's just it's glorious, and obviously like Kingdom Come and stuff as well, and Justice and yeah, I I do like when he does interiors. Um, but I would I would kill for other people. I would love to see other artists appearing like that. Um, but there is like you say, it's just it just takes too damn long. So even if there is, people wouldn't even take them on. I don't think I don't think companies would be interested in taking them on. Yeah. I think I mean I think I have heard David Bishop say that you know um back in the 90s he spoke to one artist and said you do know this is a weekly comic <laughs> don't you <laughs> Oh man oh, it's it's, you know, it's heartbreaking That's great but we need we need five pages of this every week you know Yeah yeah um we've briefly mentioned the other Bre- um 
Bread. Dread, Batman, <laughs> crossovers. And we will be coming back to those at some point. Um, where does this particular one, the ultimate riddle, stand for you? Oh, it's number one. Out of the ones you've got. Oh, it's number one. Right? It's, number it's your favourite. Yeah, it's my favourite, 100%. I do. Um, I love the. Uh, I love Judgment on Gotham. The Bisley art um, is absolutely lovely. The Vendetta in Gotham. Yeah, the ventriloquist. Yeah, yeah. Cam Kennedy. It's, mm. it's really interesting. I love it. There's amazing pages with, uh, with Dread on the bike and everything. It looks incredible. But it's also... The collections that I've got, the two, the Judgment on Gotham and the Ultimate Riddle are on this kind of newspaper print paper. A bit thicker, obviously, but kind of newspaper print paper. Whereas the Vendetta in Gotham, it's like shiny. And obviously that kind of goes right. with the art in a way, but it's just it's just odd. But yeah, that's I think that's definitely Ultimate, Ultimate Riddle's number one. But I haven't read, I, I haven't ever seen Die Laughing yet. The last yeah. one. Yeah, right. I've, ne- I've okay. never seen it yet. I've never actually seen it about. And I'm I'm reticent to buy it in a collection when I've already got these three like this. The other three, yeah. yeah. Okay. So there is a collection of all four, the Batman Judge Dread collection, uh, available in paperback, and you can get it on Comixology for only seven ninety nine. Uh, it's about twenty quid on um, paperback, I think, if you find a copy, but quite cheap to pick up digitally. And I seem I seem to have both as usual. I seem to have a hard copy and digital. Oh, nice. <laughs> I don't know why. I always end up with these things. I think yeah. we all do, even. I think that's that's the curse of. Uh, comic collectors we always end up with multiple copies of the same thing <laughs> yes or that thing where you end up in a comic shop and you think well I'm, i should buy something yeah uh yeah anyway <laughs> <laughs> okay so thanks very much for picking that time it was a great pick and um yeah i mean beautiful book what a beautiful book to look at and talk about um the the height of painted artwork from the 90s uh great stuff so we're going to turn to guest projects and it's a good year for comics podcasts that are celebrating their fifth anniversaries, I think. Is that right? <laughs> yes. Tell us about the comic, that comic smell. Well, that was our fifth birthday start of August. Um, yeah. Which is quite funny because we haven't even reached 100 episodes yet. And we're at year five, you know. <laughs> I often make the joke that it was because the first two to three years I was putting out an episode every six months. <laughs> <laughs> um, it, wasn't, it wasn't that bad. But, you know, at the very, very start, it was uh, it, it was rather hard to... Um, to narrow it down and edit all the stuff out so I, I would painstakingly sit with this thing for like a week and go through it and, and sit and listen back to it and all that kind of stuff and I'm so glad I've got more lax with that now because I don't think I could have done that you know a week on each episode every time no give me give me a night and a cup of coffee and there we go you know there's there's an episode the next day um and I'll listen to it when it goes out just in case um but we're we're uh, we're great like we we are so chuffed to have made it to five years. Obviously, me, Dave, Nando, Mike, we've all been meeting for forever anyway, well before we even thought about doing it as a podcast and just chatting. And it was just that thing one day of like, we should just shove the mic on this. I'd I'd been looking to start up a podcast for, for some time and Dave sort of said, why don't you just turn the microphone on us? And I was like, oh... I never thought about it that way, you know? Yeah, okay, thinking, but there's no structure or anything like that. I don't think it really matters. Um, 
I mean, you've, you've heard the podcast, Eamon, haven't you? Oh, I have, yes. I've listened yeah. to it. It's great fun. Uh, the As I say, the the are you the Brotty Ferry Mafia or the Dundee way? We, we talked about this already. But anyway, four friends talking comics. Yes, yes. Four friends Basically, just yeah. chatting comics, yeah. And it's, you know, there's no... I, I, I hold the highest respect for, for folks, like big time. I, I hold the highest respect for people that have a, a structure to the show and stuff like that, whereas... It's just not our kind of thing. Um, we are so much at ease. Just we're, we're I think we flow better and and go a lot better when we're just sitting with a topic at hand, but we're just chatting. You know, we've, we've brought along a bunch of stuff. We're just chatting away. There is always a topic there in the background, and that does come up eventually. Uh, what people don't know is that it comes about three hours into the conversation, <laughs> and then so that's like the last hour of the conversation is is the episode. But yeah, it's uh, it's 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 still going, and it'll keep going until we decide that it's no more. <laughs> And you get to do all the editing. You get to reduce those three hours to about an hour and a bit of podcast, don't you? Yes, I do. <laughs> so I have to sit back and listen to it from the very, very start. I don't make notes throughout of like, oh, this would be a good editing point or anything like that. You know, because like I say, it's so free flowing. Um, I just listen to it back and just make large cuts as we go, which I don't know. I, I love that as well. It's it's just you know listening back to us chatting, just listening to me and my pals chatting in general, not even just about comics, just uh, just having a conversation and having that novelty of having it being recorded. It's so nice to have that thing of listening back to it. Um, it's great when it comes out as a polished episode as well, and it's great for everybody else to consume because you wouldn't want to hear some of the rubbish we chat. <laughs> but it's so much better to just sit back and 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 go through it and and listen to me and my mates chatting. You know, it's it's uh, it's almost like looking back at a photo album. It's great, fantastic. And you were out, recently out and about the four of you. Um, you did a tour of some of the comic shops for um, Free Comic Book Day 1, or is it... Because they see yeah. two goes at it this year, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they are. Some of the UK got delayed. I think some of the US got delayed as well. Um, but Glasgow, where we were going, did not get delayed. <laughs> they uh, they made both efforts. Um, so, yeah, we did, a, we did a sort of round trip around Glasgow, starting off at the, the newest Forbidden Planet that opened just sort of before lockdown in a way a couple of months before lockdown and and that was all all in full swing it's a beautiful shop really you know two floors um decked out with back issues and and trinkets and loads of comics new and old whole manga sections of it it's great and then making our way down to the outlet store which was the old location for um the forbidden planet and uh making off with an absolute killing <laughs> you know 75% off all comics graphic novels and manga oh it was just insane I mean I, I left with a backpack full of stuff that actually crippled me and gave me bruised shoulders the next day um, <laughs> and I don't think any of us left with less than three bags you know um, but it was just it was incredible and then making our way down to A1 Comics after that and visiting the sort of Japanese manga um, trinket shops and that they were about as well and yeah we made a proper comics pilgrimage day of it and all winding up at Pizza Hut and sitting showing off all the stuff that we bought it was great 
Fantastic stuff. <laughs> yes, and we, we, you get to have another go this weekend, I guess, possibly. <laughs> yeah, possibly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think I'll try and do it more local, though, to be fair. I'll probably stick to just where where I can get to uh, or by a, a, a small bus journey as opposed to having to take a train or drive through. <laughs> yeah. So look for that comic smell wherever you're listening to this podcast and you'll find it or follow the show notes for this episode, which will have links to the SoundCloud page and to your Twitter account as well. Oh, thank you. But also you've got a comic. Is that right? Yes, we do. <laughs> we have, How did you come to make uh, a comic? Well, it was it's partially because of uh, lockdown, but also... I think it kind of been bubbling on the horizon anyway. We're all, in one way or another, creatively minded. Like, Nando does drawing and stuff in his own time. Dave makes his own range of comics under Fred Egg Comics. He's been doing them for years. Mike then ventured into making his own one about prehistoric animals. The real prehistoric beasts was was his first one. He's now working on the next one. He's he's an, an intense, beautiful artist that's almost got like an underground style to him. Um, and then that just sort of leaves me who tinkers away with doing the podcast but I've you know I've drawn and, and written and stuff like in spare moments for, for years I'm constantly taking notes for story ideas um, when I'm out and about on the phone or in pads or whatever and I've had an animation background um, from when I went to college and I've I've drawn for a lot of years and stuff as well so I think all of that just kind of finally came to head and Dave sort of went why are we not making a comic? <laughs> and uh, before you know it, you know, that comic smell comic, uh, issue one, is now out. And it's got a, a whole host of stories from us and even a, a guest artist in there of uh, John Tucker, who I actually wrote a, a story for and he did the art and helped me sort of edit it up and stuff. And yeah, we, we co-put that out together. And oh man, I'm just so proud to actually have a comic out and... We're twiddling away on the on the second one as we speak. <laughs> Issue two will be out at some point. And again, look in the show notes for a link to the um, the Fred Egg comics blog. Uh, is it the bigcartel.com? I'll put the link in the show notes. Yes, it is. Um, yeah, where you can yeah. find it. Yeah. Fantastic. Um, Tom, will you be venturing south of the border for a uh, Thought Bubble or anything like that later this year? I won't be this year. Um... I've just kind of we've written off this uh, this year to be fair um just holding right. out holding out our our money and everything for uh, for the following year to be fair to make proper proper plans when everything okay. gets a wee bit more sort of on the go but um you never know we might make a we might make a a, a trip down south just to have a, a go around some comic shops it's all it's always a, it's always an idea that floats about fantastic i look forward to it and i look forward to return visit to the book club at some point um uh, may, you know, who knows what we'll be talking about le- next time? But we've been talking about crossover comics and Batman Dread, and it's been great fun. Thank you, Eamon Thank you. It's been it's been a great blast uh, chatting about this. An old an old favourite. It's great. <laughs> I love it when pe- you know people have a real passion for something that they discovered early on, and it's like you know sticks with you, and it's still good, and it's great fun, isn't it? Batman yeah. Dread, the Riddler. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, and uh, I, I love the show as well, Eamon I've I've been a, a follower for a while now, so it's it's great to finally join the ranks. It's great. Thank you. Oh, thank you, Tom. You'll have to uh, send me your address, and I will send you your Mega City Book Club coaster, uh, which all the guests get as their appearance fee. That's you know the big time now. Ooh, ooh, yes. 
amazing. <laughs> Thank you so much for giving up your time this evening, Tom. It's been great fun. Thank you, Eamon. Thank you. And thank you to everyone for listening to Mega City Book Club. As ever, find all the links, including to that comic smell and all of Tom's projects at megacitybookclub.com. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Spotify, and the 2080 forums. Or email me, mcbcpodcast at gmail.com, if you want to come on the show and choose your own book to talk about. And that will do us until next time when we are, like Dread and Batman, passing judgment on another great book. Uh, it's goodbye from me and from Brotty Ferry. Goodbye from Tom Stewart. Wow.